We're back with another destination. And this week, we're traveling somewhere pretty near and dear to Jamie. So it'll be a, another week of exploration, fun, thrills, true crime, everything that you tune in for. Yeah, uh, we're going to a country that you wouldn't really think of usually. Um, but like you said, it's quite dear to me. I uh, lived there for a while and I taught there for a while and really opened my eyes to some things in the world. Okay, so uh, we're going to Kenya. Kenya. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Kenya, uh, a country in Africa, roughly in the middle, uh, to the east side roughly. Uh, beautiful country. Obviously, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. But before he does, we have to 3 2 1. We have to 3 2 1. You ready? Yeah. 3 2 1. Animals. animals. <laughs> yeah, we're on the same page this week. This never happens. I got yeah, we got it, we got it. Um, so. Yeah, there's lots of uh, untouched nature in Kenya, but it's, it's just unparalleled to being in a Western civilized, you know, country, if you will. Strap in and um, get ready for the culture, the history, and some interesting things you can do in Kenya. Now, if you don't know, uh, Kenya is a country in East Africa on um, on line with the with the equator. Uh, it's got a coastline with the Indian Ocean, and it's surrounded by countries like Uganda and Somalia. We've got Rwanda relatively close as well. Now, people often think that African countries are typically just arid, desert, sandy places, but you know, once you get past the Sahara Desert to the south, it's completely different. Kenya has a very rich and diverse ecosystem all thanks to the different um, landscapes and biomes Kenya has. Now Kenya's got savannas, lakelands, mountain highlands and uh, most importantly the Great Rift Valley. Have you ever heard of the Great Rift Valley? No and it's actually funny that you're talking about the valley because I was about to say like I'm glad you bring up that it has mountains because I feel like people don't naturally think of Kenya and Africa as this mountainous area they think of the savannah so um I'm glad you're telling us all about the the different sides to the country yeah so you gotta remember Africa is a huge continent um and Kenya is a huge country and has all these here different biomes but the Great Rift Valley is something that I find particularly um interesting and it's a huge physical feature within Africa and Kenya and it's basically a huge valley that was not so much carved out, but basically what happened was the land kind of land kind of had like uh, two cracks in it. So you've got the left part, the middle, and the right. And over time, the middle part lost friction or lost grip, if you will, with the left and right, and it eventually sank down. And it created this huge valley going through um, the east coast of Africa. Absolutely huge. Uh, it's continuously sinking while these here, the left and right parts are, are spreading out as well. Um, and it, because of this, it's allowed for a more rich and diverse wildlife and, and cultures to develop. Why does that make me think of like the journey to the center of the earth that it's like sinking or so? It sounds like this adventure that people go to when they go to like the. <laughs> well, you're 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 kind of kind of on par with that. So, that, you know, center of the earth. Um, I haven't seen the movies, but it's. Um, you're basically, you know, it is what the movie is titled. You're going into the center of the earth, going through all these volcanoes and magma chambers and stuff like that. Um, and the Great Rift Valley, because of its such um, 
manipulation of the of the crust and the Earth's mantle, and um, there is a lot of um, ge- geographical volcanic seismic activity, uh, and I'll, we'll touch on that later on and some of the things that you can do you can do in Kenya, which is really interesting. Now, because of because of stuff like this, like we just think, oh, it's a big cut through the Earth, but these things allowed for humankind to develop. Mm. Kenya is known as the cradle of humankind. And within Kenya, many paleontologists globally recognize it as a hotbed of archaeological discoveries contributing to the story of human evolution. Kenya actually has produced many, many fossils, which tells us not just one part of human um, or mankind development, but it actually allowed, it can, has, has pieced together many stages of um, the human, human evolutionary uh, tree, which is just fascinating. So we can see the, the continuous um, development of the humankind all within the, the Rift Valley. In fact, the oldest human remains were actually found in Kenya in um, something called the, the Tugan Hills, Oh my um, gosh! So that that's like where yeah. the first skeleton was kind of found. Uh, not the first. The first um, was in another African country, but this year one here dates back to seven million years. That is wild. Yeah, seven million years we find uh, human remains. Now you got to remember, obviously, human remains aren't what we look like nowadays. Uh, seven million years ago, but ju- just a brief explanation of you know what the, the Rift Valley is, what where Kenya is, and all the amazing features that it has. Yeah, I think it's fun. I mean, we often talk about the history of places and the cool buildings and sites that you can go and see, but that's really special that the fossils and the really like very beginning of science discoveries took place in this region. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 just inundated with with discoveries, um, and a lot of these are African countries are up and coming. So I assume you know in the near future we're going to see a lot more coming out of them. Um, now, have you ever heard of the Maasai tribe or the Maasai Mara? Yes, and people better remember that because it'll come up in my story too. <laughs> so the Maasai. Um, Mara, first of all, so is is a huge national game reserved, and it's named the Maasai Mara in uh, honor of the Maasai tribe, the Maasai people who were the ancient oh no, not so much ancient, but the ancestral ha- inhabitants of the area. Now, this area, the Mara, uh, it's absolutely teeming with wildlife. Now, I've had the pleasure of going to uh, the Mara, and it is. I know I've said this a few times in the podcast. <laughs> But it is eye-opening. <laughs> it's just I mean, it's that's just like the most immersive you can get is really living there with yeah people that it is that's their home. Yeah, yeah, it really it really is. Um ever since coming back from Kenya, I've never felt the need to go to a zoo. I've seen the I've seen all the animals in the wild. <laughs> uh, in the Mara specifically, and then the Mara has it's known for the, the the big five. Do you know what the big five are? Oh, let's see if I can get it. All right, let's put yeah. my fingers up. Here we go. My guesses are lions. Okay. Zebras. Okay. Giraffe. Mm-hmm. Elephant. And I'm missing mm-hmm. one. Maybe like a gazelle? No, that doesn't seem like big enough for big five. 
You got two. You got two of them correct. You got lions and elephants correct. Then you've got the leopard, the buffalo, and the rhino. So lion, leopard, buffalo, rhino, and elephant are the big five. Now, oh, how could I forget the rhinos? Come I, on. Well, rhinos, yes, that's the thing. Whenever I was there, even I didn't see any rhinos. They're that, they're that rare. They're that endangered, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, now, although you, these are the, the, the animals that you can they're famous for so i've seen a lot of lions i've seen uh, a heck of a lot of buffalo a good few elephants i've seen one leopard they're very very rare to find leopards um however i've seen thousands upon thousands of um antelope and zebra i've seen tons of giraffe i've seen hyenas i've seen warthogs and so 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 much more all the wildlife that we in western civilization Oh, Western civilization. <laughs> All of the wildlife that we in Western countries kind of hear stories about in the Lion King and Disney movies and stuff like that. They're here. They're they're just going about their daily lives. And it is just it's it's kind of beautiful in a way. Well, that's I mean, we agreed on the three, two, one animals. So I I would expect that you get all the animals that you could dream of. But I have a really important question for you. Yeah. And it is. Are zebras white with black stripes or are they black with white stripes? Ooh, there is, there is a correct answer for this. I don't know what the correct answer is, but I do know, and this is not me being a know-all, this is me, I do know this. The, the pattern of stripes has been proven to help reduce flies that land on the, the animal. So um, there's actually a farmer in Europe and he decided to test out one of his cows and he spray painted his cow white and black and he's seen a significant reduce in flies on the animal. And then they brought to scientific testing and it turned out, yeah, the the stripes do help reduce the amount of flies there. I don't know why. I'm really skeptical about that. I don't want to see the actual like written published report. I, but. I will find the peer reviewed report. Um, but I don't know if they're if they're white or black. But I do know leopards have the you know leopard spots. Um yeah. they're on their skin. It's not just the fur. That's a good mm-hmm. question. Very good question. So yeah, now although Kenya's got a huge wildlife population, it's actually got a huge person population as well <laughs> do you want to try and guess at how many um how many people actually live in kenya um two million two million no way that's way too high uh maybe it's not oh i don't know um i'll go i'll scale it down to like eight hundred thousand. Eight hundred thousand. okay what if i told you you would have to times that a lot should i have kept my two million <laughs> Well, it's uh, it's forty-eight million. Oh yes, I should have kept my two million. I would have been closer. You should have kept your two million. You would have been a little bit more closer. Um, but yeah, so Kenya's got a population of forty-eight million, and that was recorded in twenty seventeen, so five years ago. Probably a little bit more. Uh, no, this is this is the interesting thing about Kenya that um, I didn't realize: seventy-three percent of the population is under thirty years old. Oh, really interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. It's a very, very, very young country in terms of its population. And it's because it's seen a huge increase in population or inhabitants in the, in the most recent century. They went from 2.9 million to 40 million in just 
one century. Wow. So people are like, yeah, Kenya is the place to be. Let's go. Yes, well, it's, it's one of the most developing countries in, in Africa. So they've had the population increase. They've had new um, migration. Um, like you said, it is, is, the place, is the place to be. So um, that's a few things um, about Kenya. Not so much the history, but the, the views of it, the nature of it, the geography of it. Let's dive now into some of the absolutely astronomically amazing things you can do in Kenya. I'm ready for it Once to again, skyrocket to the top of my must-do list, so I'm sure you will. Hope it gets get there. ready, because I was redoing my my research um, for these different things, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I've done that. That was amazing. I need to do it again." And mm-hmm. um, now, once again, disclaimer: these are the things I personally feel you should do. There is plenty more things that um, that you can take part in. So the first thing we're going to be looking at, uh, what I suggest you do whenever you go on to Kenya, is actually take part in a wildlife safari. The most prominent one is the safari of the Maasai Mara, or the Mara, as we previously looked at. is a huge wildlife conservation area. Now, although you can see the big five and many more um, animals and plants and species in the Mara, there is something that if you're lucky and you go at the right time of the year, you can see. And it's called the Great Migration. I've heard of it. You didn't You've ask heard me of this it. one, but I've actually heard of this one. What is the Great Migration, Cassidy? It's when animals move from one place to another. Okay, so I'm going to put it, more, put it a bit more poetically <laughs> than Cassidy has. But the Great Migration is a mind-boggling site uh, in which you can see all of the, the animals migrate from one part of the Serengeti to the other part of the Serengeti. Um, now, it's reported in this year of Great Migration, you will see literally about 2 million buffalo, 200,000 zebra, tens upon tens of thousands of um, antelope, and many more of these here um, species it's it's huge it's it's hard to actually comprehend how many animals that is uh, whenever i was in the mara uh, i seen lots and lots of wildlife i've seen enough zebras to last a lifetime um, that's not possible come on it, it, it is it, it really is the first time you see them they're special but by the 1500th the most interesting thing that i saw on the mara which hopefully um, you could see as well. We went to a lion pride and we stopped our our van, our jeep, if you will, about two meters away from a pride of lions. And they're just sitting there peacefully. They're ignoring us. And I looked into the lion's eyes and the best way I can describe it is it felt like the lion was just looking through me. Like I had, it, I was so insignificant to it. That it just looked through me. You know, it, it it did feel that you could probably jump out of the car and you know go pet them or whatever. But then it, you realize these animals are in no way accustomed to humans. Top they are of the fighting food chain, man. <laughs> top of the food chain, yeah. And it, oh, it was just it's very surreal seeing seeing them in close in person, seeing the big lions, men and all the all the females. I also seen uh, a cheetah hunting for some prey that you can also see in the Mara. Um, and in the Mara, we went to a 
pond, I guess, or a lake, which was housed to about 50 different um, hippos. Aww. Now, hippos. Hippos are actually the most dangerous animal in Africa. People think it's a lion. It's not. It is hippos. Now, this year, water, uh, unfortunately, was... This pond, sorry, was reduced in amount of water because of uh, a dry season, and you can and the hippos couldn't really be covered by the water, and we are you're able to see a lot of hippos. Aww. Why are you saying ooh? I don't want the hippos to get all toasty out on the plains. I want them to be able that to like, enjoy the water and have a little splash around. Have a little splash around. Well, what have I told you? This here water, as well as being infested with hippos, was actually also infested with crocodiles. Well, the hippos could take them. You said they're the da- most dangerous so, animals in this area. That is very, very true. A hippo will have no problem against a crocodile um, or an alligator. I don't know which is the di- I always forget the difference. One's saltwater, one's fresh. I always forget. Um, but yeah, you go back to this year lake, this year small pond, and it's filled with hippos and crocodiles. I am not going into that. No chance. One of the best things about being a, so far away from the world and in, in nature is the sky because there's no light pollution there's no vehicles there's no cities there's nothing for miles and miles around you can see the entirety of the night sky and although you're on the equator and some of the constellations are slightly different it's like the sun never set it's so bright because of the because of the night sky it's it's, it's beautiful that's so funny that last week we did um alaska which barely gets any sunlight and then we now we're doing kenya which is still so bright at night because the stars are just like taking over yeah so um that is the mara if you want to take a little um safari tour if you want to go a step further you can actually visit the masai mara um tribe and you can actually stay with them for a few days uh that was pretty interesting you essentially go to the tribe and they're living in, in mud huts and uh, no electricity no sanitation literally as a, a village and we you dance with the maasai tribe as a, as a welcoming as a you know your guest in their in their um in their village and it's it's a different way of life are you gonna tell the people um, what you ate and drank their delicacies so their delicacy was good blood um because yeah, it was hard to get water, so they just drank the blood of animals. But they would do it in such a way that they didn't just slaughter the animal. They'd actually try and, like, cut the animal a little bit, take some blood, let it heal, and then oh, it kind of, like, replenish again. Yeah. One of the traditions of the Mara tribe, oh, sorry, the Maasai tribe, uh, whenever a young boy is entering adulthood, at the age of roughly 15, 16, uh, they're given a knife. And they're told, go and live in the wild and do not come back until you've killed a lion. And that is it. It doesn't matter if it takes them two weeks or 10 years. You do not come back to the tribe unless you bring back the head uh, or the mane of, of a lion. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Imagine being 16. You're straight out of secondary school or a higher college or high school. And you said, here you go. Here's a knife. Go and kill a lion. Don't come back. You have to live in the wild by yourself. There's, well, there's that's nothing. the crazy thing in North America. Like the biggest issue you have at 15 is that all of your friends have their learner's permit and you don't like you're the last yeah. one to turn 15 or 16. So you're all sad 
that you can't drive, but everyone else can drive. And then here you are in Kenya and you're literally the Maasai tribe, yeah. in the savannah and having to like fend for yourself out in the wilderness with no support, no backup, no, no telephone, no security, no nothing. No, well, you'd have to like make your own shelter. No, that's what I was trying yeah. to say. No shelter to like keep you safe from like the climate. So whenever we arrived this year at uh, the tribe, we asked, you know, when was the last time someone was killed by a lion? And the the guy said to us, well, he wasn't killed, but he's in the hospital. He got half of his face bitten off by a lion. And I guess, you know, and he had to go with surgery. And we said, does that not make you scared or worried? And he says, no, it's just all part of the game. I was like, what? What do you mean it's part of the game? There's no game. <laughs> why, <laughs> why are you doing this? Um, but um, the, the Mara tribe, they live uh, very frugally, very, they live off the land. They don't just take mm-hmm. and destroy, which is, which is quite nice. Now, if that's not your, your cup of tea, you don't want to get done and dirty with it, but you still want to experience some of these um, creatures, you can go to a giraffe or an elephant sanctuary slash yes! adoption center. Or not adoption, orphanage, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so there's many sanctuaries across Kenya for both, well, all, all animals, but the most popular are um the giraffes and the elephants and you can get up close and personal you can actually touch them you can hug them so i have hugged a giraffe i have hugged an elephant uh, elephants are really weird skin it's like a thick wrinkly leather with spiky hair mm. it's it's weird uh, but we went to the uh, elephant orphanage and you hear the keepers call the, the baby elephants. And off in the distance, about two or three hundred meters away, you see all the baby elephants run towards you. And there are little trunks swaying and stuff like that. And you think, wow, this is so cool, the little baby elephants. And they finally arrive to you. And then the the teenagers or the, the adults are let out. And that is, it's ferocious. <laughs> um, you see this herd of elephants slowly walking towards you. And although... You know, you're safe, you're behind, I'm thinking about it now, I actually wasn't safe because you're behind a little tiny wooden wall that could easily be stepped over by an elephant. But anyway, <laughs> um, if the elephants wanted to, you're gone. But that's um, that's as close as you'll, you'll ever really get to an elephant. Yeah. Um, literally within inches, inches of it. Elephants, if they're not your cup of tea, you can actually go to a giraffe sanctuary and you can hug a giraffe and you can kiss a giraffe. Would you be interested in kissing a giraffe, Cassidy? I feel like you have to. If you're there, you got to get up and close to the giraffes. And you call it kissing, <laughs> but it's like not kissing, kissing. <laughs> well, so there's two types of kissing. <laughs> the proper way and the not so proper way. Um, <laughs> so what you do is you take a little tiny treat and you put it on your lips. And the, the, the giraffe's got a big, uh, long blue tongue and it kind of like sticks to the little treat. And then... Um, takes it off your lips and that's kissing a giraffe now my friend was not aware of this my friend put the treat on his tongue and stuck his tongue out with his with his mouth wide open and next thing you know you see this huge blue slimy giraffe tongue in my mate's throat just <laughs> like it was proper and in there and it was oh it was horrible um but um the giraffe must have loved it loved it because they got a treat at the end uh, but you can, you can hug the giraffe 
and they are they are really really strong the the muscles on the neck beautiful animals i love giraffes yeah the muscles on the neck are are crazy the their bones and their legs are so so heavy that's actually one of their weapons in the wild they just kick because their their legs are so <laughs> thick with with muscle so that's um some of the sanctuaries you can go to and the last thing that i suggest going to is something a little bit more tranquil something a little bit more just sit there and take it in and it is the lip or the crest of the Meningai Crater. Have you ever heard of Meningai Crater? No, what's that? So it's a huge, um, I've said the word huge a lot in this podcast, I've just noticed. It is a really, really big um, crater. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that adjective mixing it up. <laughs> okay, it is a... Um, Enormous. Gargantuous. Ah, there you go. Yeah, gargantuous crater of a dormant volcano. Uh, it is situated slap bang in the Rift Valley, like we mentioned earlier on. Um, and although it's dormant, it's a um, it's not a quiet dormant. It's an active dormant, if that makes any sense at all. From the crest, you can see down into the um, the crater or the basin, and you can see steam vents uh, randomly shoot up from the from the ground into the into the air um, now this here crater is believed to be the second largest caldera in the world and basically a caldera is whenever the volcano so you know you, you know think of a, a, a triangle uh, and then the volcano blows up it ejects all of that mass from the center which results in the sides collapsing because nothing to to hold it up anymore and it pretty much makes a big a big basin this caldera has, has a mind-blowing 70 kilometers squared area in which you can see these these steam vents you can see these plants and you can see the fauna and the and the, the animals i know i'll tell you something even more creepy not creepy something even more worrisome Hey, we're on a podcast about true crime the creepy is half of the ba- half the story here well, <laughs> Speaking of true crime, there has been many, many disappearances of people in the Meningai crater. Yes, um, this is on my short list. Okay, now it's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and people actually live inside a crater because although it's dormant, it's not you know, it's not lava, it's just flatland, but it's 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 really beautiful to go to the crater. Um just sit there, take it all in, and you can see all of the, not all of, but most of the Serengeti, the Masa, the crater itself. It's really a, a, a attractive, attractive view. Just watch out that you're not stepping into a portal into another dimension. Well, funny you say that as well. Um, these steam vents, the local tradition or myths or legends, if you will, are that these steam vents are demons and below them is different dimensions um, to the underworld and stuff like that. It's pretty Ooh, interesting. Horrible. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for taking part in my little uh, synopsis of the three things that you can do in Kenya. There's also uh, the Flamingo Lake, if you're interested in that, seeing lots of flamingos. Um, and if you're feeling a little bit more of a fitness fanatic, you can actually cycle the Hell's Gate. And it's um, 
it's pretty interesting too. But uh, I obviously didn't do it. <laughs> we were only there for a while. But it's a very uh, kind of like a valley on both sides kind of thing. It's, it's a really beautiful area as well. Exercising on vacation. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, thank you very much. But yeah, I'm really excited to hear what you're going to, what, what you've managed to find about it. Because I know there's a lot of religion and different uh, possible cults and stuff like that. Um, and um, clans and sects and stuff like that. <laughs> So, um, it was curious. a week where I changed my mind like three or four times, and then I finally found something that I thought was really good. Um, but it was a, a tricky episode for me. I struggled to find stuff, then I found like so many options where I was going back and forth. So I have a really important question for you. Go for it. Do you believe an animal can be a serial killer? <laughs> what? <laughs> I sound like um, Scooby Doo there. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. Okay, this is very surprising. Actually, uh, an animal could be a serial killer. I mean, well, the definition of a serial killer is commit multiple. I don't know. Because in our three, two, one, we both agree that Kenya is all about wild animals. So I went out and I found us a pair of man-eating lions to talk about this week. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's go for it. So we will dive into the way, way, way back of Kenya, back in the 1800s this week. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's all about lions. We'll be talking about Africa's lion populations. In recent time, they've really taken a hit. There's not quite as many as there used to be. Um, For lions to actually start going for humans, it's not normal, quote unquote normal. They usually have to be wounded or they're old or they're deprived of their natural prey. Um, a serious reason to go for humans. They don't naturally go for humans, but... like Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, usually there has to be a reason. But in the case of two lions in Kenya, it looks like they almost were killing for sport. So the main characters of our story are two Savo lions, which is a specific breed. They are a little bit different than your normal savanna lion. They're a bit bigger, and they don't have manes. You know, when you picture okay. the lion, they have the really big yeah. thing around their head. These ones don't. So that is a unique feature to them. And it's thought of to be an adaption to the really hot summers that Africa has. And, of course, the desert landscape. So that's kind of a unique adaption to them. And they also have kind of a unique social structure. Okay. So savannah lions will go usually in a pack or, sorry. A pride? For lions, it's a pride. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, usually they'll have 20 females and two males. Yeah. But Savo lion prides are usually pretty small. So it's about half that size. Usually 10 females and one male. Okay. So 20 to 2 in a savannah and 10 to 1 for Savo. So, so a bit of a different dynamic. So males don't usually ever share power. In the Savo? In the Savo. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. The lions in my story spent their time in the Savo East National Park, which is one of the oldest and largest parks in Kenya, but it also is known for its own unique dark history besides my lion story. So it also had a lot of disease um, and slave trade. Savo actually means slaughter in the native Kamba people's language. Okay, so like slaughter lions kind of thing? Kind of. So in the 19th century, the region was crossed by a lot of slave caravans. So it led to a lot of disease outbreaks. So a lot of slaves 
were basically picked up by these slave traders, which is horrible, yeah. brought across this area, and then caught disease and died. So, not great. And instead of actually burying the bodies, they would just leave the corpse out to, like, oh. basically do their thing in the blistering sun. So, it was a pretty horrible place in the 19th century. The Maasai? Maasai? Maasai, yeah. That, those are the ones that I lived with for a while, yeah. Well, in the 1800s, they were pretty ruthless, and they would kill off a lot of the weaker tribes, so that also added to the bloodshed in the area. That's horrifying. Like, I know the slave trade was bad, but you think of how many slaves were transported. And we're not, I know we're not really talking about this right now, but you think how many slaves were transported. So overall, it's just, it's just not a nice place you want to be, really. Yeah, so we're setting the scene for just horrible. Yeah. Horrible. 1800s, like I said, 19th century. During this time period, the British were basically at their height of power, and they were attempting to build a railway as part of the Kenya-Uganda project, which was meant to link Mombasa, Kenya, to Lake Victoria and Uganda. It would stretch 580 miles through remote plains, valleys, and savannas, and it was really meant to give the British some more power in the interior of Africa, which at the time was like this mysterious frontier of untamed lands. Well, when you think about it, you know, Africa is huge. The map that we see traditionally isn't actually a true scale map. Africa in the maps we see are smallered, smallered, smaller, shrunken, shrunken. Um, <laughs> so, but whenever you get a true map, you can see how long Africa is. And it makes sense that a lot of these central parts of Africa were untouched by Western colonies for, mm. a, for a very long time. But building a railway is not a small thing to do. So they required thousands of workers. So they recruited people and, like we talked about, not so legally recruited people yeah. um, to work on the project. So there were some locals that were on it. There were some foreign workers who were mostly Sikh laborers from British India. And they all worked under the command of British Lieutenant Colonel John Henry Patterson. So Patterson was the man in charge of building the railway in March of 1898 and making sure that it got over the yeah. Savo Bridge. The Kenya-Uganda railway project had already had difficulties before my lions even got on the scene. So some more background information. The general harsh environment was difficult for the workers to be doing some pretty intense yeah. labor in. In 1895, the Massey tribe killed about 500 workers after accusing a couple foreigners of messing with some tribal girls. The foreign workers weren't used to the heat, and so it was difficult for them to work, like I said. And a lot of the British public were very vocal about the project being a huge waste of money. So it was a lot of negative publicity and press about it. It was often called the lunatic line okay. <laughs> because they considered it went from nowhere to nowhere to nowhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on top of that, because it was a railway, it was huge. Yeah. And so workers were spread out along 20 miles and Patterson was supposed to make sure all of them were, you know, okay. They had everything they need, et cetera, et cetera. So it was this massive project that was a big feat for them to be working on. But the bridge began on schedule, and after a couple days of construction, Patterson's porters went missing, and a man claimed that a lion had taken them. Patterson didn't believe it, but his mind would soon change when he ventured out with the party and found the man's 
body not far away. In a journal, Patterson described the scene. I'm going to do it, but like trigger warning for gore, blood. It's a little graphic. So Patterson described they reached the spot where the body had been devoured and it was a dreadful spectacle. The ground was covered with blood, flesh, and bones. His head was intact, but there were holes made from the lion's tusks on seizing him and his eyes were wide in horror. We found that there were probably two lions there and they struggled for his body. It was one of the most gruesome sights I had ever seen. We collected the remains as best that we could and we took them back to camp for identification. And this was my first experience with the man-eating lions, but I vowed there on the spot that I would spare no pain to rid the neighborhood of the brutes. That's the thing. And a story about this is, you know, it really puts in perspective that we're only top of the food chain because of our intelligence. But if you put us up against a lot of animals in the world, we're having no chance. Mm-hmm. Literally zero chance to, to survive. And this is a great example of it. a guy that just went wandering and all of a sudden he's you know devoured by lands. Well, I think shark attacks too. Like you go into their water. Yeah. Like <laughs> you go into their area, you're done. Yeah. So not long after the attack, more men go missing and there is frequent lion sightings around the camp. By April, so just about a month after the construction and the first incident, it was so frequent that men were attacked and dragged away from camp that people were freaking out. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... You know, with everything that's going on with the Maasai warriors as well, you can probably think that they were a little bit on edge. Is it, is it the villagers? Mm-hmm. Is it something else? You, I, you wouldn't initially think it's the lions. Well, they would see the lions. That's what was crazy. So the then, lions would attack at any time, no what? warning, clawing through tents to get to victims. What? Yeah. I thought it meant like, you know, they're going off to the toilet in the middle of the night and then all of a sudden they're, they're being taken by lions. But the fact that lions are just coming to the camp. And it wasn't surprise attacks. They would just like come when it, well, I guess in that regard, it was a surprise yeah. attack, but. <laughs> it wasn't like a night and dot in the middle of the night. It was just. There wasn't like any sneaking about. They weren't scared to be seen. Oh, that's quite... That's quite scary. Yeah. So workers began to take precautions to secure their camp. They would set up barriers. They would set up bonfires and fences. And they would put together um, some branches of thorny trees to try and set the lions from getting to them. But apparently the lions were able to get through every trap, every barrier, every fence, and just continue to bring the death toll higher. That just shows that the lions are, like, they have some intelligence about them. You know, usually you think these are, you know, dumb animals that, you know, that if they see something that's spiky, they're going to walk away from it. But the fact these two animals are smart enough, is it seems that they're thinking about what they're doing and not just natural instinct. Like, they're planning. They weren't scared of fire. That's what thing. animal isn't scared of fire? I'm scared of fire. Yeah, with good reason. Yeah, it hurts. <laughs> so the lack of fire fear and their boldness was weird and the fact that like i said there were two of them and they were both male and that's not something normal for sabo lions to do and a lot of the times when bodies were found it was reported that in some instances the lions didn't even like eat them what (laughs) they just killed them so very weird and with all this strangeness like i said a lot of these men came over from british india yeah which is 
kind of known to be a bit more of a superstitious place. Yeah. They gave the name to the lions, the ghost and the darkness, because they believed that they weren't just lions, but they were evil spirits or demons that were attacking. To, to be honest, I'd probably be thinking the same, because these animals are going against compl- against their natural instinct. You'd think that something is a bit more... Something's up. Yeah. Something's afoot. So of those that didn't protect their tents to, you know, try and dissuade the lions, a bunch of them were like, nope, I'm not even going to bother. And I, they just left. Yeah, that's what I'd be doing. I wouldn't even try. Just out of here. And See refused to come back. But because Patterson was in charge of building this railway, and I wasn't... he needed to do something. He couldn't just, like, let his workers flee. So he decided to start making a plan to try and capture the lions. So he lied in wait in this tree and the lion still continued to attack under his nose. In one instance, the lion broke into the hospital tent, dragged out a patient, and then they moved the hospital tent to like try and better protect the injured people. And the lions still were able to attack another person under Patterson watching them, trying to hunt them. That's that's just mind-boggling that nothing's being really done about it. Yeah, so he tried to, like, set up a trap when he moved the hospital and, like, did this railroad boxcar system with cattle so that he would shoot the lions when they came, but they were able to kill the cattle anyway and drag it away. <laughs> he was able to fire out a shot at the lion, and that apparently scared it off. But the lions didn't go for Patterson, and it went as far as he would actually use himself as bait, but they wouldn't go for him. They would just continue to hit other people. It wouldn't be until December 9th of 1898, nearly 10 months after the killing spree started, that Patterson made progress. So he actually was able to shoot and wound one of the lions. Okay. He had a donkey out um, as, like... As bait. As bait. Yeah. And so when they went for the dead donkey, he was able to shoot one of the two lions in the leg and wounded it. But instead of actually retreating, the injured lion began to stalk Patterson. What? <laughs> but this ended up being a fatal decision for the lion because Patterson was able to shoot it one more time and ended up to kill it. But you're not going to believe how big this lion was. I'm, so I've got a, like a picture in my head that it's about... So standing up, it's probably a little bit bigger than a door. My measurement is nose to tail, so... Okay, so nose to tail, I'm guessing... As in start of the tail or the base at the tip of the tail? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> nose to tail! <laughs> I'm going to guess seven feet. It was allegedly, and I mean allegedly, nine feet and eight inches. Whoa. So nearly three meters from nose to tail. It said that it took eight men to drag it back to camp. That is huge. It's massive. That's what the height of the ceiling? Yeah. So that's one down. One to go. One to go. go. (laughs) And the second line was more difficult. Patterson built a platform in a tree, and so when the lion went for the goat, he was able to get a shot off and injured it as well, but it escaped. And when the lion didn't return for 10 days and halted all attacks, everyone assumed, great. It was dead. He must have got it. Yeah. 
But that was a poor decision because on December 29th, the lion made a surprise attack and was able to attack another worker. But at this time, Patterson was ready. He fired off a shot and did it enough to like scare the lion. But because the lion was still bleeding from the last shot, they're able to follow the blood trail to get to the lion. And so when Patterson caught up to it, he shot three shots out at the lion. But the lion, again, reportedly didn't fall, but actually charged at Patterson. And so it took him three more shots, a total of nine shots to actually bring down the lion. That's mad. And these things are nine feet? Yes. Yes. That's that's crazy. Is, that's, that's, so I, uh, that's huge. So that ended the terror of the Savo man eating lions, but that is not the end of our story. So the railway bridge was completed. Patterson would go on to keep the skins and the skulls of the big cats as trophies, and he would continue on to become the game warden in Africa and actually wrote a book about his ordeals in 1907 called The Man Eaters of Savo. And then eventually at the end of all of this, he sold the remains off to the Chicago Field Museum in 1928, and they're still existing. They're mounted there, and they're here to that day. But are you ready for the final death toll of the 10-month killing spree of the lions? Can I guess first? Yes, you sure can. See, logically, I'm thinking like 20 or 30. Okay. But with this such a amazing story, I'm thinking maybe... Less than 100, though? Like, no, no chance is more than 100. Okay. So the actual number depends on who you ask. Patterson claimed that the ghost and the darkness killed 135 people. What? The railway company would say that it was 28 people. Yeah, because you don't really expect them to say less to try and get their workers to come back. Yeah, so that number is up to debate until, of course... We got science. Oh, yes. Because like I said, their bodies are still around. Yeah. And science is pretty cool. So we can dig into why the lions began to do this attacking and eating of the people. And we can dig into a rough estimate of how many they actually killed. Let's go. Yeah. So two scientists examined the samples from the cat's teeth and their jaws to get a picture of their diet over the final weeks and months of their life. When animals eat, this is going to get real science-y. Yes, a lot of science. <laughs> their food apparently leaves microscopic patterns of damage on their teeth called microwear. So carnivores that crunch bones like hyenas or lions can end up with really recognizable patterns. But these lions didn't have those patterns. Their teeth compared with lions that were in the wild or captivity that usually have more like meaty morsels than bones. So it didn't look like the lions were starved for food. The analysis of chemical isotopes in their fur and their bones revealed that they had a variety of prey besides humans that they ate. So they didn't have... Yeah, they weren't starving. They weren't limited in choice. So why did they go for people? It's hypothesized that it was poor dental health. As in... I'll I'll tell you. (laughs) Um, So the ghosts in the darkness, the two man-eating Savo lions began hunting humans because of infirmities in their mouths. So it hindered their ability to catch bigger and stronger animals. One of the Savo lions was missing three lower incisors and had a broken- Incisors? Yeah, yeah, incisors. You know your teeth. (laughs) I know my teeth. (laughs) 
And one of them had a broken canine and a sizable abscess. Abscess? Abscess in the tissues around the tooth's root. So it would have been really, yeah. really painful for them. And the second lion also had a damage in their mouth with a fractured upper tooth and an exposed pulp. Oh. Yeah. I've had that before. It's not fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> so gross. It is. I mean, I don't have lion teeth, but yeah. yeah. People, people listening have definitely had an abscess before and an exposed root pulp before. It, they know it's not fun. Yeah. So in the first line with the abscess, he would have had tons of pain, like I said, and it probably would have been more than enough motivation for them to skip the large, powerful prey and just go for the people that were all together. Easy prey? Yeah. A chemical analysis conducted in 2009 in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences showed that the lion with the abscess consumed more human prey than its partner, which I thought was also interesting. And that was the lion that was killed in 1898, which was the first one. Okay. So he was the one that ate more. more. And you can remember, I said the second one took, like, a good chunk of time without attacking. So back to the death toll. Okay. Anthropologist Nathaniel Dominey and ecologist Justin Yeckel of the University of California, Santa Cruz, were like, let's figure out what this number was. Let's look at the bodies. Let's look at the skulls. Let's get an actual number. Because there's a big difference between 28 and 135. So they looked at the lion's diets. Like I said, the isotopes, the hair, and the bone samples. And I didn't bring this part up, but I thought it was interesting. Um, they said that the isotopes, such as carbon-13 and carbon-12, can accumulate in an animal's body in a ratio influenced by its food. So in a zebra, they usually use or eat a lot of carbon-13 grass, and giraffes chew leaves from trees with lower carbon-13 levels, so their isotope levels would be something yeah. related to that, and the lines would be around what is similar to that of their prey. Science is mod, bro. Lots of science. <laughs> <laughs> So scientists requested bone and samples from the Field Museum of Chicago and were able to compare those samples to a normal lion's prey as a zebra or a giraffe. And they were able to find that during the lion's last three months, humans made up 30% of their diet, according to the analysis. That's crazy. That is insane. So combined with the size of an average human and how much the lions would eat every day, the researchers estimated that over the 10-month rampage, they ate about 35 people. Per, per lion or between them? Between the two oh, lions. Okay. Yeah. I still, I mean, I just want to say that's not a lot. That's, that is a lot. 35, 35 people. 35 people. Over 10 months? Yeah. That's, a, that's, whew. Was that three people a month? Yeah. Just over three people a month? It's estimated that they began turning to humans because, like I said, that their mouths hurt. Yeah. But at the same time, in 1898, the Sava region also was hit by a drought, and there was a European-introduced virus called Render Pest, which killed out a lot of the natural prey. So a lot of the buffaloes and the wildebeests were gone, gone yeah. because of this virus. So that also contributed to them turning to humans. So it's the, it's the perfect storm, really. You know, you've got lions that are huge. They need to eat. They've got sore teeth, so they can't take down the bigger prey. Bigger prey that's not even there because of the drought and the, the disease. And then you've got lots and lots of cheap labor piled in horrible conditions and easy, easy prey. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's a perfect storm. It is the perfect storm. That's a great way to summarize it. <laughs> 
Oh, sorry. Like you said, so it actually was not 35 between the two of them. One of them killed 25, like I said, that first one. Yep. And then the other one probably contributed to the last 10, but still relied mostly on its old diet. I, th- I think, though, with the mix of that, you know, the, the, the workers thinking that it's ghosts, you know, demons, yeah. that would set some, set some nerve into you, especially with them, the lions not caring for the fire, not caring for the traps, not caring for the bullets they received. Mm-hmm. It just shows how... What's the word? How... Um, I mean, it's survival, right? That's like, it, yeah. They're at the brink of, I can't eat anything, or I don't want to take down these bigger things. They're not around. It's painful for me when I actually can find them and then have to eat them. I'm so I'll eat just, something? Yeah, I'll eat whatever's in heavy supply. Thought it was workers? So if this wasn't enough for you, there's another movie that you can watch, 96 film called The Ghost in the Darkness, and I just bring it up because it has Michael Douglas, so. I don't know that is. You don't know Michael Douglas? Oh, oh, that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we're going for the next podcast, Michael Douglas' is ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, just the fact, too, that they were able to halt the process of the British Empire in Africa at the height of the power yeah, like that's the butterfly It's effect. a whole other story, too. That's mad. You don't think of that. You just think of the death, but you don't think that because of that, this year railroad is reduced in time and being completed. Delayed, yeah. And that can have... And that is butterfly effect. Yeah, absolutely. You, when you bring it, keep on bringing it back, you know, that could be all from a lion biting into a bone that chipped their tooth and gave them an abscess. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, he, oh, I love, oh, it's mad. But yes, thank you very much. That's I did not expect that at all. I thought it was going to be some like voodoo stuff. I almost did a witch trial. Witch I trial. got close to doing a witch trial, but it was too recent. It was like 2020 or yeah, something we, that was we, a little too hot button. That's crazy. Yeah, that's the story of the ghost in the darkness. Kenya's pair of man-eating lions. Well, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us, folks. Hopefully you enjoyed my little interesting... Things. Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs about um, Kenya. Beautiful place. Um, if you do go, watch out for some lions, I guess. Keep your eyes peeled for some man-eating lions. Oh, yeah. Stay oh. safe out there, and we'll see you at our next destination. Ooh. Somewhere around the world. On behalf of the flight crew, thank you for flying with us, and have a pleasant day.